Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 185 of Allied Strategies. My name is Tristan. Joining me, as always, is my friend, Sam. Hello. And my friend, Ben. Hello. Hello. So this week, we are going to talk more about War of the Spark. Uh, that's what we've got going on this week, and then uh, next week, we'll do that again, and then it'll be Mythic Championship London, which uh, you're both competing in, right? Correct. Are you guys yeah. excited for that one uh, coming up? Yeah, I am excited. I'm a little disappointed that we don't get to play with the, the sweet new cards, but Limited is going to be crazy enough that, that that might just make up for it. Yeah, so it's Limited with the new set, and then Modern without it? Yeah, and the Limited the set comes out the day of the Pro Tour. Okay. Like, that will be the first time anyone is holding physical cards of War of the Spark. Although presumably you're going to do a lot of uh, proxy drafting with it. Tristan, we would never make replicas of copyrighted material. No, no, no. Like, I mean, like, okay. You know, in, in such a way that it doesn't go against... I am, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to... We're going to write down the names of the cards on paper using non-copyrighted images and then discuss what we would do in a draft situation. Okay. No, I'm kidding. We're, we're, we're going to print some cards out and, and play with them to practice. I, uh, well, I, I, I hope that works out well for you, and I hope the limited format is awesome. That may be our topic next week. Um, if not, it'll be the, the topic the week after. Uh, but for this week, given that there are still a ton of commons that remain unspoiled, uh, we're going to talk again. We've picked out some cards uh, that look really cool for Constructed. And again, this this set is already looking pretty full of pushed cards. Uh, I guess, you know, yeah, with, no with Planeswalkers as kind of a theme of the set, it, and Planeswalkers a historically pushed cards type, uh, it's sort of no surprise that this one's got a pretty high density of, of good cards. Um, but still, that's that's just what it's looking like, so... Uh, it seems like even the spells about. are busted to me. Yeah, I mean, the, the spells, and some of the spells, like, interact with, plane, the, interact with Planeswalkers look good. And just some of the other spells also look good. Like, there are some just cycles of powerful cards that, you know, could be... They could just print those sorts of cycles in any set, but it looks like there's a lot of them in this set. So, uh, it's going to be a good time. It's going to be a high power level set, I think. I think we'll get to play some some busted cards. Um, so, that's going to be our main topic. But first, let's thank our good and illustrious friends of the podcast over at Patreon.com. Our illustrious friends are Matt and Phil. And our good friends are Adam, Matt, Sean, Brett, Britton, Kyle... Caroline, Eric, Winchester, Zach, Sam, Duncan, Baptiste, and Will. Thank you so much for the continued support helping us produce the show every week. Uh, and let's move on now to our flagship segment, Card of the Week. Sam, what is your Card of the Week? Uh, my Card of the Week is Chalice of the Void, and this is a card that I'm expecting to see an uptick of, in play in Modern with the combination of open deck lists and um, and of the new mulligan rule, the London mulligan. I think when I was playing games, it felt a lot more feasible to just mulligan until I had Chalice against the deck that Chalice was good against. And it felt like it's, it's always a tough question in playtesting whether or not like, Oh, do I know the matchup? Am I, you know, am I supposed to be able to mulligan as if I know what's going on? And here the answer is just unequivocally. Yes, you are going to know if your opponent is playing say Phoenix. And if you can just, mulligan until you have chalice and if that will be insane and thus far that has felt really uh like a big feature of the format so far so you know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing who's to say but uh chalice of the void a card that i expect to show up to uh, pretty big at the pro tour i guess 
I believe Chalice of the Void is one of the most unfun cards in the history of Magic, so I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this is for the worse. Like, you think that it's bad that the format is so friendly to Chalice? I believe that any format uh, that, like, becomes or, like, revolves around Chalice of the Void uh, is a worse format than one that doesn't. So, like, if the format is moving in the direction where Chalice of the Void is gaining popularity, I believe that is a bad thing. All right, that's. Uh, I, I think that there are a lot of people who would agree with you. I don't know, Sam. You've, you've played a lot of Chalice decks, like you played Eldrazi Tron and stuff uh, in your day, and they, those have been very Chalicey decks. Um, so you might have a different opinion on how fun the card is. Um, do, you, nah, like, do you think it's ben, fun, or do you Ben's, also hate it? Ben's pretty much right. It's it's not that fun. Like I think the fun Chalice game, th- there can be fun Chalice games, and I think they tend to be the ones where Chalice is not a KO against the other person like where it's merely pretty good and they have a couple ways to get out of it and maybe the you know things become interesting for a while um but that is not that does not feel like where modern is at right now to me yeah and it's not what you're trying to do with chalice as well right like if if your chat if your chalice is good then your opponent's having a bad time yes right now it feels like and and right now it feels like the decks that are a little soft to chalice really have no have no counterplay they're not going to get out of it once it happens Okay, well, we'll have to see how that prediction pans out, uh, but it does it does sound like it's based off some pretty solid logic given the the mulligan and decklist changes. Like those both seem very favorable to it. So yeah, uh, might be might be a chalice filled PT. Benjamin, what is your card of the week? My card of the week is Pull from Eternity. Pull from Eternity costs a single white mana for an instant that says put target face up card in exile into its owner's graveyard. Um, this is a card that sort of because of the same mulligan change rule that Sam was talking about, um, people have started playing Serum Powder and Pull from Eternity in combination in in Modern. So <laughs> Serum Powder is a card that, like, if it's in your opening hand, you can exile your hand to, like, get a free mulligan instead of taking a real mulligan. Um, and so if your deck has, like, a bunch of Serum Powders and a bunch of Pull from Eternities, then you sometimes get to, like, play with the card in Tomb. Uh, where, like, you exile, you know, you, you take some free mulligans at the beginning of the game, and then you have some of your deck list, you know, stockpiled in the exile zone, and then you can use Pull from Eternity to, you know, put a juicy reanimation target in your graveyard or something like that. This is this is the nonsense that people are, are, are coming up with now that the mulligan rule is, has changed so dramatically. And, uh, you know, it's... I just... It seems really bad to me, to be totally honest. <laughs> but... Some people are, are trying to make it work with, with some really weird and out-there combo decks. <laughs> it, does, it does sound difficult for this to be good, but uh, if it is good, then that'll be fun to watch. Although maybe not yeah. for more than one tournament. Matt Nass described this interaction as entombed to me, and I just stared at him blankly and asked him what he was talking about. Yeah, it's uh, pretty far from entombed. If Entomb cost you, like, four cards to do, then maybe it would be Entomb, but th- this is not Entomb. <laughs> well, why does it cost you cards? Well, you probably have to mulligan. Well, you just need Serum Powder, then you get the same number of cards. But you have maybe. to find the Serum Powder. Yeah, and it's true. Also, the, the way the mulligan rule works is that you, like, if you're mulliganing to five, you only Serum Powder five cards as well, right? Correct. Which, uh, I guess is not... I don't know if that's an upgrade or a downgrade. 
for the for the purposes of this. Like you're still going to be able to serum powder whatever cards you'd want to be able to pull from eternity, uh, and you can, you know, you could return some good ones to your deck that you'd want in your yeah. I don't think that's like the, you know, is is too bad. It, it's it's weird because you have to then mulligan again to get those cards off the bottom of your deck to have that be like really meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Otherwise, they're just like you know yeah. you put them on the bottom of your deck and they're not gone. They're just, they're, so they're, it matters if you're yeah. gonna fetch them, but usually that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Okay. I yeah. I see. I see how that. I see how that works out. Actually, yeah. Okay. Well, it's bizarre. Uh, I agree with your assessment, Ben, that this seems unlikely to be good. So, uh, but definitely, it's nice to see what happens when they change the rules. This is, that's one of the great things about Magic, is that just this kind of wacky stuff starts happening in testing rooms. Uh, as soon as, like, as soon as you give, you give a, a rules change in, in, a, in a direction at all, people are going to take it so far in that direction with their deck lists uh, in testing. And that's always cool to watch. All right, my card of the week is Price of Betrayal. Price of Betrayal is a single black for a sorcery that says... Remove up to five counters from target artifact, creature, planeswalker, or opponent. Now here's some story spoilers, so skip ahead a couple minutes if you want to <laughs> dodge those. La 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 la. Also skip ahead. Skip ahead if you want to dodge Ben's uh, singing. Uh, all right, so the price of betrayal. This is the story moment when Liliana like decides that she's going to disobey Nicol Bolas, and uh, she ends up having her contract start like eating her alive. At that time, um, but then what happens is Gideon steps in and sacrifices himself and like takes all that for himself, takes all the all the you know burning up and fireness in a different card called Gideon's Sacrifice. Now that card uh, is a white for an instant that says choose a creature or planeswalker you control. All damage that would be dealt this turn to you and permanents you control is dealt to the chosen permanent instead. So that's also a cool card. Both these cards are thematic and and flavorful and match the name. My problem with them is that Price of Betrayal does not have an interaction with Gideon's Sacrifice. Like, if I cast Price of Betrayal on your Liliana to remove counters from it, you cannot cast Gideon's Sacrifice and make that happen to your Gideon instead. And to me, that seems like a glaring oversight. It seems like these two cards should work in such a way that if you play them, like, if, if I play one and uh, you play the other, that it happens like it did in the story. Uh, so that's my that's my big gripe with this. Um, yeah, I'm glad that Sam and my uh, passion for the lore is starting to rub, rub off on you, Tristan. Yeah, I, I think this is a totally legit legit beef, and I, I'm right there with you. All right, I'm 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 uh, honored to you know study at the the feet of great lore masters such as yourselves. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to our main topic now, where we've selected a couple cards each to discuss in the context of constructed, primarily standard, although. Uh, we may dive into some older formats as the cards encourage. Sam, you have the honor of having the first card to talk about this week that is not a card of the week. Uh, what is that card? Uh, the card I picked is Finale of Devastation. It's green, green X for a sorcery that says search your library and or graveyard for a creature with converted mana cost X or less and put it onto the battlefield. Uh, If you search your library this way, shuffle it. I guess that's weird. You're going to search your library most of the time, I think. If X is 10 or more, creatures you control get plus X plus X and gain haste until end of turn. Um, And this is a card I'm eyeing for modern, actually. It probably, you know, there's probably some cool stuff you can do with it in standard. Haven't really thought about that too much, um, but wouldn't surprise me if, you know, there's 
there's some sweet stuff to tutor for. But in modern, uh, this is sort of a Green Sun Zenith replacement, which is a card you know that's banned that we don't get to play with. Um, it costs one more, but it does search for non-green creatures, so it's going to be really good at helping you assemble creature combos. Um, the first home for it that I can see is in the Devoted Druid combo deck. It lets you tutor for both halves. It tutors for the, the, the Druid or the Vizier, and then unlike uh and then it ju- it also can just kill your opponent once you have infinite mana because you just make you know make an infinity infinity uh with or make all your creatures into infinity infinities and give them haste which seems pretty impressive to me because right now the Dru- the devoted Drew deck has to play all these like not that good dusk watch recruiter and walking ballista type stuff that are like okay in their deck but don't really fit with their game plan and getting to play like just this one card that you already wanted to play because it already tutors for your combo that also doubles as a win condition seems really sweet. Yeah, this also, I mean, the fact that it searches graveyards too, like, it just means if your opponent, like, gets through your, like, you know, if if you're only playing, like, one, you could play one copy of a combo piece in your deck and four Finale of Devastation, and, like, you don't have to clog your deck with extra clunky, you know, Malira-type cards um, that are bad to draw on their own. Um, So that's, that's a really cool part of this card too. Sam, yes. So your gripe about the shuffle, the wording, like you, you won't search your library if you search your graveyard. Yes, I know, I understand that. I'm just saying, like, well, okay, yeah, it says search I, your library and/or graveyard, so you could still shuffle your library and end up tip picking from your graveyard. Yeah, but if you know your top card, for example, you don't have. To. Yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, but also, like, are you convinced this card is better than Court of Call? Like, are do you think this card is better than Court of Calling? Yes. I mean, the fact yeah, that it's a, an infinite surprising. mana win condition is, like, it's pretty exciting. I, well, I think... so is Port of Calling, probably. Eh, I guess, yeah. I guess it is. I don't know. Court yeah. of Calling. Yeah, fair. That's fair. Court of Calling has not impressed me that much in the deck, and the fact that you get to just, yeah, the fact that you just get to cut Duskwatch Recruiter sounds so good to me. Duskwatch Recruiter is not really that good of a card. Okay. I feel like if that's what we're doing, we should maybe just play a different deck. Like, I don't know. Like you have to put some number of creatures in your deck for collected company, right? Like, well, have... most a lot a lot of these decks don't play collected company. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's got a shot. I don't know. This card doesn't seem good to me because like the ten or more thing doesn't seem that realistic to me. Except you have if you have specifically infinite mana. And... Oh, I agree with that. I just think a green sun. Yeah, a green sun zenith. I mean, like, well, also I think adding adding a mana to decks, Green Sun Zenith is a very, very big difference. It's a huge difference. I agree. Like, you but can't very different kinds of decks want Green Sun Zenith as Court of Calling, right? Like, you can just play this in a deck that doesn't have that many creatures, that doesn't have thirty creatures, that only has like fifteen, and do different things with it. Yeah, sure. Like, this could be in your Valica deck or something as a way, you know, as a ramp spell slash Primeval Titan type card, or I, I don't know exactly. Also, getting any color is a big game. Eh, maybe. I, I would bet against if I were a betting man, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how it shakes out. All right, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I think that's uh, definitely what we'll have to do with this card. Benjamin, what is your card here? My card is Liliana Dreadhorde General. Liliana Dreadhorde General is 4BB for a legendary Planeswalker Liliana. Whenever a creature you control dies, draw a card is the static ability. Um, she has six starting loyalty, and she has plus one, create a 2-2 two, two black zombie creature token. 
minus four, each player sacrifices two creatures, and then minus nine, each opponent chooses a permanent they control each permanent type and sacrifices the rest. So this card looks really sweet to me. It looks really good, also. Um, that static ability is no joke. Um, you know, most Planeswalkers will, like, plus to draw a card or whatever. This Liliana does kind of plus to draw a card in that she creates a, a, a zombie token that you can, you know, chump block with or whatever. Um, and when that zombie token dies, then you get to draw your card. Uh, the minus four also, it seems to me, like, has the potential to, to just do have a huge impact, like, on a board state. Like, it's just not that hard to picture a situation where your opponent has you know, one good creature and one medium creature in play, and then you just pay six mana, get a Planeswalker in play, and they have to sacrifice both their creatures. Now, if you have creatures in play, you also have to sacrifice them, but at least you get paid off with a card. Um, so yeah, this card just seems, like, really powerful. And I also kind of like that it, it's sort of encouraging this, like, black creature sacrifice mid mid-range deck that, you know, is the kind of deck that I kind of let, like, that kind of deck appeals to me. So I'm kind of looking forward to this card, uh... I think this card's going to be really good in standard, and I think it's going to be really fun to play with. Yeah, it, it, it's like there are a lot of board states where you can imagine this being pretty insane, right? Like, okay, your opponent has one creature and you have uh, you have none. Like, you play this and you plus. Like, what are they going to do? They're going to add another creature to the board and attack Liliana, then you just minus it and uh, get both their creatures. Or like, you know, yeah, just uh, what's the what's the solution for them in that spot? It's difficult, difficult to see. Yeah, I think the only downside is that the minus is like a really big number. Like minus four is a, is, yeah, is a lot it's... of loyalty. But like, I think that's commensurate with the power of the ability. <laughs> like, can you just imagine just killing a Carnage Tyrant and a Jade Light Ranger or whatever with the minus four? Like, that's so good. Yeah, one of the weaknesses traditionally of these Planeswalkers that come, like that minus to make them sack creature, like Liliana the Veil, is it's bad against like small value creatures and this one, the plus also is so good at defending it from the that kind of creature, and it just comes in with so much loyalty. Six is six going up to seven. If like you know, if your opponent is just playing a deck full of elvish visionary type things, that's just like it's going to be so hard for them to attack it. Yeah, it, it seems like there's just a lot. Like the two abilities complement each other really well and cover a lot of different possible game states you could be in. So. It also, yeah, it also feels like between this and find finality, that's like a lot of ways for black mid-range decks to answer. Like, they're good against two very different board states, so they're going to really put you in a squeeze as far as which thing you're, you know, which thing you're going to be able to play around. Yeah, because the way to beat this is to go wide. Uh, like, I don't know. Is it? I guess. <laughs> Is that even the way to beat this? I guess it is. Like, you well, go wi- wide, wide and not one really wounds. Wide. Like, it, it has to be, like, a, like a like white weenie wide, where all your board is also three threes. Yeah, and I mean, the card does cost six mana, right? So Yeah, so that's true. So you kill your opponent before they, they cast it, I guess, is the is the counter. Yeah, that's probably the real way to beat this. Or you counterspell it or whatever, so. Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely looks like a, a pushed one, for sure. Wait, um, so the the Lilian, the card that is supposed to kill Liliana doesn't kill Liliana either, right? Price of Betrayal? No, it does not. Price of Betrayal just removes five counters from something. Okay, so maybe well, what happens is Price of Betrayal is like Liliana like is almost dead, and then Gideon comes and sacrifices the rest of it on that card. So maybe that's how it works flavor-wise. 
Mm, I see. So Bolas casts it, but it's like not quite enough to finish. Yeah, Price of Betrayal. Off. Like he's 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 casting Price of Betrayal, and then like it gets interrupted before it would remove that sixth counter. And uh, and Gideon's like, no, you know, I I'll take the the damage. But somehow the damage was going to be damage now instead of counters being removed. I don't know. Uh, it's it's some mental gymnastics. Well, but... I, I was I was sort of thinking of it as Bolas cast the spell and weakens Liliana greatly, so uh... she's on one loyalty. And then, you know, the rest of his army is going to go finish her off. But then Gideon's like, no, I will take the damage. And and then the damage that would be dealt to her by, like, you know, Bolas's creatures or whatever. Yeah, but it's, I think at Gideon's sacrifice, it's pretty clear that, like, the, the cost of betraying Bolas is what's happening to Gideon. Because that's what the flavor text says. It's, yeah, all right, fine. So I, I, I don't know. It's unclear. It's unclear how they can make this work lore-wise without me being dissatisfied. Um, but I think that that might be a cost that they're willing to pay. All right, my, my card that I'd like to discuss is another black card, Finality of Eternity. Uh, so this is part of the same cycle as Sam's card. Uh, this is X black black for a sorcery that says destroy up to three target creatures with toughness X or less. If X is 10 or more, return all creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Um, so the X is 10 or more case is not something that I'm too uh, concerned about. It seems pretty Whoa. unrealistic. Whoa. What? Capital Coffers is legal and standard, my friend. Dream a little. Believe in something. I, yeah. I, I, I'm dreaming of casting this for like three or four mana and killing my aggro opponent's three creatures. Like their one drops and their two drop. So that's my dream. And I, it's it's a pretty good dream. I wake up from that I dream guess, and I'm happy. I guess it's cool that you have no imagination. I have an imagination. I'm imagining just taking my... I'm, I'm imagining just putting this on the table. My opponent like flips it over and starts reading it. And then I reach over and just like put three of their cards in their graveyard for them. I'm imagining doing this to Benjamin, actually. Oh, so you're imagining being incredibly rude? To Benjamin, so it doesn't count. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, it's a good dream. I take it back. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the, the scene, this... what it shall remain. Dream. <laughs> the, this card does seem pretty uh, pretty good against decks with small creatures. Um, like, the fact that it just always destroys three creatures. You, like, if you're playing this for four mana and destroying three creatures with toughness two or less... Um, there are some decks against which that's going to be backbreaking, right? So, uh, I'm excited. I, I think that that's a good a good use for this card. I don't know. It, it, I don't know about in best of one. I don't know if there's spots if there's spots to play this card in best of one. But like, uh, I mean, I guess you. Yeah, you, there are some decks that this card is is kind of blank against. So uh, that's worrisome. Although I guess if your deck if your deck is capable of making the X equals ten mode, then maybe you can, um, you could play this against others as well. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's unclear to me how good the effect, like, you have to pay a lot of mana for it. Like, paying three mana to kill, like, three two-ones is the dream, obviously. But, like, your opponent probably is going to play in such a way to not, like, if this card gets popular, like, they're not just going to donk into it, usually. And it starts to get pretty expensive if you start trying to kill anything that doesn't have one toughness. So, I'm not sure. The effect is super powerful, though, so... so Maybe it will get there, but but me, I would want to play it in a deck that is capable of paying the X equals 10 cost. Because with with the black one, I think it's actually feasible. Because of Cabal Coffers? Yeah. Okay. So you're playing like a mono-black deck that, like, what are you reanimating? Just some mid-rangey, demon-y stuff? All of them. Okay. Fair enough. Right. It says it says it right there on the tin. I ca- I can't argue with that. I, I really can't. I'd like to, but I can't. Sam, what do you think about this card? 
Uh, my read on this card is that it's kind of going to be good in like mid-rangey mirrors where you both have a lot of creatures. Like, I think for the most part, you will be better off if with this with a sweeper. If you know, if you're, yeah. if you if that's an option. Um. But you know, if you're trying to play your own creatures, I could easily imagine this killing like two or three explore creatures or like a Lanoir elf, a Jade light. Yeah. Like a Lanoir elf, a Jade light and a branch walker for five mana. That seems like a pretty good deal where you get to keep all your stuff. So I, I could see that being a, a good use for this. That's, that seems that that's sort of where I'm envisioning it. And then, yeah, the cabal coffers thing, maybe that works out, but the it's tough. Cause those decks usually just don't have a bunch of creatures. Mm-hmm. If you got it from both graveyards, I'd be a lot more into that mode. You yeah, have to this stuff too. That card, well, but, yeah, then uh, you just played in like a control deck. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm less sold because just I don't think the Cabal Coffers people tend to have that many creatures. All right, fair enough. Sam, what is your next card? My next card is Deliver Unto Evil. Uh, this is my favorite art in the set. Also, it's so cool. It's like a very sort of stylized nickel bolus looking down at the gate watch sort of standing in front of him with bowed heads. It's very, it's and, a very like 1990s magic art. Yeah. It just, it just looks so cool. Yeah. And there's like a sort of black hole type thing behind him. It just, it looks awesome. Um, and it's black too for a sorcery and it says, choose up to four target cards in your graveyard. If you control a bolus planeswalker, Return all of those cards to your hand. Otherwise, an opponent chooses two of them. Leave those. Leave the chosen ones in your graveyard and put the rest in your hand. Exile, deliver unto evil. So it's kind of like three mana gifts ungiven out of your graveyard, unless you have a bolus, in which case it's just quadruple regrowth. And I don't think that's going to come up that much. I don't think that's a huge part of the range. But uh, th- this card seems kind of neat to me. I- I'm not sure if it's actually good or not. But I don't know, like it feels like you can kind of get a double regrowth on probably two pretty good cards to me. You think like you need to have four good cards in your graveyard. That's to be true. Yeah. I think you, I mean, I think you'd have to play it in a spell intensive deck. I think you need to be milling yourself. Yeah. You think you need to be milling yourself. I agree. Let's see that. Like what if you, what if you play the, um, enter the God, the, the eternal gods or whatever, the God eternals. The thing sure. Is, like four damage, gain four life, make a four four, mill the top four. Like yeah, that that makes sense. I'm into it. Okay, I could see it being good with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just feels like if you have a relatively stocked graveyard and a lot of the like longer games with these Esper style decks do end up having really stocked graveyards, this card could be could be pretty darn powerful. Yes, yeah, I so, kind of agree with Sam, to be honest. The upside against um, Divination, right, is, like, you're going to get two spells, but the downside is you can't just play it on curve, you can't, like, use it to develop your mana, you have to have, like, the the third and fourth best cards in your graveyard have to be good cards, uh, which is not always true, like, in some, t- in some games it takes a lot of turns for that to be true. I don't think yeah. it's that unrealistic to... To be putting a bolus planeswalker in your deck. Yeah. If, okay. So if you've got bolus planeswalkers going on, then sure. But also, like, if you've got if you've got a bolus planeswalker and then you've like untapped with it to cast another sorcery on your next turn, like, are you really that far? Like, are, do you need a 
Do you need to draw four cards at that point? Is that... Maybe. Are those the games you need help winning? Maybe. It depends on the state of the game. Okay. I, like, I also think it is worth noting the cards don't have to have different names. That's true. Yeah, so you, you could... It's, it's different from, like, normal Gifts Ungiven style effects in that respect. So you, Okay, yeah, so you go, like, you know, Buried Alive, target th- or get three cards with the same name, and you, you're guaranteed to get one of them when you deliver unto evil next turn. I mean, or just you're just playing your normal things. deck and you happen... You, like, you don't have to play... You don't have to alter your deck that much. You can just play with your normal removal spells that you normally play with. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, you don't, you don't need to, like... It's not a concern to, like, not play four ofs uh, and play some right. ofs for the purpose yeah, of this you, card. You, yeah, fair. You can just play play the stuff that you were planning to play anyway. That's definitely definitely a good thing to point out, because you would, you would, you, usually on this card you see the opposite. Like, you, you see unique cards or whatever. Yeah, but because they're already restricting it to your graveyard, they don't. The, that that restriction is not really important. All right. Uh, also, I, yeah. Can, can I just say that, like, I thought that in the set with like a, mid, a bajillion planeswalkers, that they would like try to tone down the complexity of all the other cards. That is not what's happened with the set at all. <laughs> oh like, yeah, strongly these, agree. These cards, these rares, are very complex and like. <laughs> This this set is is going to be quite the the doozy for newer players, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that it's kind of fine for them to do like one of these sets every once in a while, instead of like trying to have all the sets be the same power level and complexity. Like every once in a while, you kind of give the expert players a you know a playground. Um, I don't know though. Like the, the in order to do that, the the gameplay has to be deep. It doesn't just mean that the cards have to be complex and hard to understand. So. Um. Yeah, it's a good. That's a good thing to point out, though. All right, Ben, what is your uh, your next card to talk about here? My next card is also a black card. It's the Elder Spell. The Elder Spell is BB for a sorcery. Destroy any number of target Planeswalkers. Choose a Planeswalker you control. Put two loyalty counters on it for each Planeswalker destroyed this way. So I think first thing to note is that this spell does not destroy creatures, right? The only permanent type that it does anything to is Planeswalkers. Which means that I think you cannot put this card in your deck if you're just trying to play it on the fair. Um, I do think that what you could try to do with it is you could try to play a Planeswalker combo deck, right? Like, Planeswalkers are, generally speaking, good cards that you can just put in your deck and be fairly happy with them. Um, You can try to... Like, bum rush a Planeswalker ultimate with the Elder Spell. Um, and then, like, it can also be a split card. Like, if, it, if you're not combo killing people, you can use it, you know, to kill your opponent's Planeswalkers if they happen to play, like, a Teferi or whatever. Um, I sort of like that if you are, like, trying to build a combo deck this way, like, typically you'll have, like, a lot of removal in your deck so that you don't die. Or maybe not a lot, but, like, a decent amount of removal in your deck so that you don't die. And those cards are, like, not effective against control decks. And so, like, combo decks, like, tend to just, like, die if your opponent plays a Teferi or whatever. But at least if you're playing, trying to play, like, a Planeswalker combo deck um, with the Elder Spell, you know, you have interaction for if your opponent just tries to cast Teferi and then, like, just, like, counter a few spells and ride it to victory or whatever. So... Yeah, I don't know. This card is is bizarre. I, I did not think that the Elder Spell was going to be a cheap card by any means. But it's... I don't know. Maybe there's, like... We've got some cheap Planeswalkers now with high loyalty, too. So, like, maybe you can do some sort of nonsense like this where you just ultimate a Planeswalker in, like, 
very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, it, it's pretty well set up with, like, the, the Planeswalkers that only minus. Like, if, if any of those are constructed playable and you're interested in those, like, you know, you got the full value from them and then they're just sitting there on one loyalty, you know, just being a static effect and you can uh, sacrifice them for loyalties on your, your you know, ultimate Planeswalker. Are you going to feel at all bad about harvesting their sparks? No. Wow, callous. I mean, you, you need to play two black mana for this. I, so you need, to, you need to get into the role play, yeah. Sam. Like, if you're putting the Elder Spell on your deck, you know, you're not a nice person. <laughs> you're not interested in, in making friends. You're interested in convincing them to come help you and then betraying them and sucking out their spark at the last second. It's actually yeah, pretty similar to what I did when I started this podcast. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, another interesting thing to note about this card is that because of the way that it's worded with the, the targeting and then choosing a Planeswalker... If you have like multiple planeswalkers that you're not targeting to be destroyed on your side, your opponent doesn't get to know like which one you're putting loyalty on um, until the spell is resolving. Like that's when you make that decision. Uh, so it means that you can get in these spots where like if you if your opponent has like a Vraska's contempt that you know about, uh, you can play around it to some extent there. Like you can you can get in the spot where you have two two planeswalkers you're not targeting, and whichever one they contempt, you can just put the counters on the other one, and then before they get priority again, you ult it. Um, oh, that's that's interesting. I didn't really realize that. Yeah, it's uh, an an interesting. I mean, it's kind of difficult to imagine this ever coming up because also, like, for this to for this to matter, your opponent would also have to be in a spot where they couldn't just Vraska's contempt one of your target planeswalkers and cause that to not have enough loyalty to go on either of your planeswalkers. So you you'd really have to have a, a true, you know, a veritable treasure trove of planeswalkers. Uh, in it's play also for this pretty to rare that your opponent just lets you untap with. A planeswalker when they have a Vraska's contempt in their yeah, hand, I suppose. It's so it's it's a very a very niche case where this could come up, but uh, you know if you're really going in on this planeswalker combo deck, I imagine you'll run into that situation at some point over the lifetime of the deck. Okay, uh, so that's the Elder Spell, definitely a, a very exciting card, and I, I I like to see these kind of pushed cards as cheap spells as well, because too often I think we see them as like seven drops that never do anything. Um, what do you mean by pushed exactly? Like, well, I think this like, card is not actually going to be very playable. You know, cheap, like cheap and uh, compelling to, like, okay, it has a compellingness. It is really cool though. For oh yeah, like, I think I think it's awesome to think about. I just would be kind of surprised. Also, if this for one like for like spiky stuff. magic players, like this this is this is a card that's compelling for spike, like as a, a magic <laughs> player. I think like. It, you know the fact that it's like cheap and promises a lot of power like yeah it's situational like yeah there's some deck building that might need to be into it but like you know it, it, in best of three you just have this in your sideboard and you bring it in against planeswalker decks and uh you, you know it's very good there I mean, right? it's fine there but like it's not i guess yeah i, guess, I mean i guess it's bb out. for destroy planeswalker like your opponent rarely has two planeswalkers in play maybe i'm just overestimating this thing yeah um, i mean I, I agree with sam that i don't think it's likely to be good but i do think that it opens up the potential for an archetype that we have never seen before. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that it's it's just cool to see uh, them be like, uh, you know, the the two. I think too often the the direction is like, okay, this is a really powerful epic spell. It's going to cost ten and do these like seven things, um, and that kind of prices it out of being something that people play with. Uh, all right, my card that I would like to discuss speaking of cards that are very expensive and do a lot of things, is Casualties of War. Casualties of War is two black-black, green-green, for a sorcery that says choose one or more. 
destroy target artifact, destroy target creature, destroy target enchantment, destroy target land, destroy target planeswalker. Uh, so this card seems like a potentially uh, compelling... Okay, so, uh, you know, in the, this kind of six-drop slot, we have, like, Fine Finality, Liliana Dreadhorde General, and Casualties of War in the, in the green-black color uh, combination. And this seems like it might be a consideration against those two cards, because it does have, like, some very nice one-sidedness. It's got some very nice, like, you know, e- even control decks are likely to have multiple of these types of permanents in play. Um, pretty much whatever deck you're playing against, like, it's, the odds are pretty good that you're going to be able to hit, like, two non-land types here, at least, and maybe three. Uh, and then you're starting to get excited. You're also going to take away their best land, like, if, if it's possible for you to color screw them, or if they have, like, a flipped anything, like a flipped Descanter or whatever. Um then that's, you know, a big game too. So uh, I think I think that this card is potentially something worth, you know, competing with those cards in that slot. I don't think this card is very good. Why not? I generally don't like reactive cards that cost a ton of mana. It's kind like, of like a, I don't know, you know, it's, I, guess, I guess it's got some I, similarities to the finale I picked, um, Finale of Eternity, huh? I usually want the um I usually want my cards that cost like six or more to be like proactive so that when you find an opening that you have six or more mana you can cast the spell. Like it just it, it reduces the number of times that or like it you're more likely to cast threats that cost six mana than you are to cast reactive spells that cost six mana because when you need to cast reactive spells is when you have, like, the smallest time window. All right, that's fair. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I think generally, like, that's why you see the six-mana cards that people play are, like, Planeswalkers um, that, like, function as removal spells but can also be proactive if your opponent doesn't have anything going on. You know, you can just play Vraska and tick it up and make a a 2-2 Menace or whatever. Or cards that have a buyout, like Find Finality, where, you know, you can play them for for very cheap if you need to. Yeah, I mean, well, that card isn't even really in it. I mean, it is an expensive reactive spell, but that's not the only thing it does. It's also an expensive proactive spell, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I guess, yeah, that's something that both Find Finality and Dreadhorde General have going for them, yeah. Yeah, so so my, my opinion is that this card looks splashy, but ultimately is, like, EDH only. And we'll not see any play in standard. All right. I, yeah, I think I'm, I'm convinced. I'm with Ben. I think okay. this kind of card just needs so much to go right for it to, for you to be interested. That, uh, like, you, how how many permanents do you think you want to destroy for this to be a good deal? Like, you're always going to get a land. Yeah. So, not counting the land, I want to hit like two and a half of the others, I think, on average. That's just, yeah. like, not realistic, I don't Is think. It just seems like Isn't so it? much to me. Your opponent has a creature and a planeswalker and sometimes an enchantment in play? I mean, maybe. Okay, all right, maybe maybe not. I, I already said I was convinced. Uh, okay, so, Sam, what, what is your next card here? Uh, my next card is Sahili Sublime Artificer. This is uh, one and two blue-red hybrid mana, so three total. Uh, for a Planeswalker Sahili, it's an uncommon. It has five loyalty, and the passive is whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 colorless servo artifact creature token, and it has a minus two that I honestly haven't really bothered to read yet because I was so in for the passive. <laughs> uh, it's minus two. Target artifact you control becomes a copy of another target artifact 
or creature you control until end of turn, except it's an artifact in addition to its types. So you can turn one of your artifacts into something else you already have. Whatever. Not that that ain't that's not what I'm here for. I'm here for uh, for a planeswalker young pyromancer, basically that triggers off of non-creature spells, not exclusively um, instants and sorceries. This card seems uh, pretty strong to me in older formats like Modern and Legacy, where perhaps your opponents are not as good at interacting with non-creatures. You know, if, if Fatal Push and... Uh, if their deck is based heavily around cards like Fatal Push and they don't have a lot of creatures in their deck then this thing seems really hard to remove. And uh, a hard to interact with Young Pyromancer is a really powerful effect. It's really potent. We haven't really had anything like that that I can think of um, available before. And yeah, yeah I, I like, don't know. I could see this being huge. Psy kind also, of yeah, fits the exactly. same spot, but like Psy was like harder to trigger and uh, easier to kill. So Well, well right. now you can play exactly. both. Yeah. So you I, could play eight size if you wanted to. Well, I think you'd, you're yeah. The size are the worst versions of Sahili. Um, oh, you think size worse than Sahili? I think you are a crazy person, dude. Sahili's uh, insane. I mean, I get that you can play Sahili and then you can play real spells. Like that is a, a big difference. Yeah, but Sai has proven itself to be a really, really, really powerful card. Yeah, I, I mean, like I'm not saying that Sai isn't powerful. I'm saying Sahili might be better. I'm saying that like. Sahili might be really great. This is this looks awesome. The card yeah, does, I, does look really good to me, but yeah, I'm I can't I'm not sure if it's better or worse than Psy. It seems like one of the nice things about Psy is it kind of puts your it's usually played in decks that don't have a lot of creatures, so they don't really get this the benefit where your opponent maybe can't interact with creatures because they probably couldn't anyway, or they had to like leave in dismember against your deck that had no targets for dismember in game one. Um, so you're not, you're not getting the same amount of value there in those matchups out of Sahili because they probably, they probably didn't have a lot of ways to interact with creatures to begin with. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This, this looks insane to me as, yeah, and you, you can, it works so well with Mox Opal. We'll, we'll see, but I'm, I'm excited for this one. I too. Yeah. I do think it was funny one. It was funny when you were like, and I didn't read the minus two because I was so in for the passive. And I mean, well, you didn't have to read the minus two because it's really bad. And Sahili is like pretty close to just an enchantment. Yeah, I mean, like, I think they're going to be, <laughs> you're just going to like be happy to have it on five loyalty to soak a hit or something. Um, yeah, there might be times when you use this minus two to get to, you know, make a lethal attack that you didn't already have available to you some percentage yeah. of the time like I, th I think the okay honestly i think the most common thing you're going to do is you're going to turn some like stupid mox into a 1-1 one, one fly or into a 1-1 one, one servo and attack with it for lethal yeah yeah sure. or you're going to turn a 1-1 one, one servo into a lotus petal okay yeah that that kind of thing is cool or yeah it doesn't even have to be a lotus petal but it could just it, it could be a mox so that that's actually a pretty useful thing to do well it's a lotus petal because they're legendary actually uh, i yeah. guess you lose the mox and you keep the yeah the servo. so it's kind of a double lotus petal or a, a lotus petal petal I don't know what the way to say that is, but yeah, <laughs> kind of loose. Um, maybe you're playing this in a deck though that has like signets or something though, so you're you target one of those instead. I don't know that kind of stuff. Anyway, yeah, I, I'm high on this card as well. Benjamin, what is your next card? 
my next card is God Eternal Bantu. God Eternal Bantu is a 5-mana five 5-6 five, for a legendary zombie god. Uh, it has Menace, and when it enters the battlefield, sacrifice any, uh, any number of other permanents, then draw that many cards. Uh, and when God Eternal Bantu dies or is put into exile from the battlefield, you may put it into its owner's library third from the top. So they kind of went back to the, you know, the Scarab God and the, the Hour of Devastation Gods had this like recurring thing where they would die, but then they would come back. I guess they brought that back, but they balanced it a little better so that you don't have to just deal with the Scarab God turn after turn after turn, which is really unfun and stupid. So I like that part, that, that they fixed that. They, they kept that flavor, but fixed that mechanic, I think. It also um, still costs them a card, right? Because it, it goes into your library, so you still have to spend a draw step on it. Yeah, yeah. So that's goes, a huge difference. It is yeah. a huge difference. I think the hugest difference is actually just the time it takes. Like, the play pattern of kill the Scarab God, and then they just replay the Scarab God the next turn was really stupid. It was really, really dumb. And now they, they, they don't get to do that anymore. Um. But yeah, basically, like you know, this is another card that sort of plays into some sort of black value creature sacrifice deck that seems pretty cool because you can sacrifice, uh, you know, you can cash in your seekers, squires, or your whatever random creatures to draw a bunch of cards with with this banger. And also, you know, you can if you just draw it in the in the very late game, you can just cash in a bunch of lands too. You can sacrifice any permanence. Uh, I think this card is pretty powerful. It also just, like, the stats are really good, right? Like, it doesn't get lava coiled. It has a comes into play ability. It's just pretty big. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of into this card. I don't think it's, like, insane or anything because it is pretty expensive and it does, like, ask a bit of you that you have to have things to sacrifice. But Yeah, also, that's the, the one part I'm finding very dissonant about this card is it has this, like, recursion ability that also asks you to sacrifice a bunch of permanents, which I can't imagine you're going to want to do the second time around, really. Yeah. Like, you sack fair. a bunch of stuff to draw a bunch of cards. Do you have a bunch more stuff to sacrifice? Well, you drew a bunch of cards that are new things that you'll be able to sacrifice. Yeah, maybe so. I am I am kind of in on this card for the same reasons Ben mentioned, though. Just 5-6 menace for 5 with, you know, the, the, first, the first bite of the sacrifice as much as you want to get some cards is pretty strong, so... Yeah, and this this is pretty... Res- I mean, the fact that it also has this recursion when it's exiled, as well as dying, like, that removes a lot of counterplay. Uh, eh. I think that ability is pretty weak, to, to be honest. Um, and is more just for flavor reasons, but I don't know, it could, I could be wrong, it could come up. Yeah, we'll have to see, we'll have to see. It's definitely, uh, I don't know, it, it's cool to see what new twist they have on gods not being killable uh, every time they... They print them. Alright, the card that I would now like to discuss is Blast Zone. Blast Zone is a land, it's a rare. Enters the battlefield with a charge counter on it. You can tap to add a colorless. You can pay XX tap to put X charge counters on it. Uh, And you can pay 3 tap and sack it to destroy each non-land permanent with converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on it. Um, So you could play this on the fourth turn and destroy all the one drops which is a mode. Uh, or you can play this later in the game, charge it up. Ideally, you're going to want to charge this up in as few... Like, to be mana efficient, you want to charge this up as with as few activations as possible. Um, because every time you charge it, you have to tap it. But if you, So you'd rather do it all at once. You'd rather just pay XX tap instead of XX tap, XX tap, XX tap. Um, so 
yeah, ideally you, you'd like, if, if you're trying to hit big things with this, you're going to want to, yeah, charge all at once. Um, but if you're playing against somebody who has like, okay, it's, it seems like three is kind of the, like the realistic amount that you could, you could hit the turn after playing blast zone. Uh, and then any higher than that, you'd, you'd really have to have a lot of mana in play, uh, to be able to kill stuff of that mana cost. However, yeah, it just, if, if your opponent is like, is not killing you immediately, uh, and they have stuff in play that, you know, is of the same mana cost, you could, you could really get a lot of value from this card. And the fact that it's a land as well, like, uh, you just play this thing and it's just sitting there in play, like, if you're playing a deck with a lot of instants in it, like, at the end of every turn you can just charge this to an appropriate number. Um, I don't know, I, I, I'm pretty high on this card. It, seem, it seems like a pretty low-cost way to get a pernicious deed into your deck. Um... Or I guess an engineered explosive uh, into your deck. Yeah, let's yeah. let's call it a powder keg more than a, a powder keg. Sure, um, like the the fact that having that effect be on land seems like a, a pretty compelling type of permanent to get this kind of uh, sweeper on. Yeah, I totally agree. It feels like every time they print a colorless land with a sort of a, a new ability that hasn't been seen before, people are like, "Ooh, should we play this in Tron?" And this is sort of one of the first ones that I think the answer is yes. Um, this card seems really great to me in the older formats. Like, it's a land that kills Death Shadows and Champions of the Parish and all that stuff. That that seems crazy. Just And, like, that's without doing any work. And then, you know, you can, if your opponent is, is all in on twos or whatever, over two turns, kill, kill all of that stuff. It, it seems really, really good to me. And also it works really well with Life from the Loam. Um, that seems like a pretty interesting option. So I think this will definitely shape uh some games of modern and probably legacy as well and i think change sort of the the number of ones you can reasonably play in decks like that because i think one is really the spot where this card punishes the hardest because you don't it doesn't take two turns to do it you just play it and immediately fire it off Mm -hmm. um so i think this will make it a little tougher to play all one drop decks in in eternal formats yeah, um, it, it kind of feels like it slots pretty nicely into perhaps the lands deck, uh, a deck that is about lands and can get them from their deck. <laughs> One thing wow. that makes me think that's, that this card might do well in there is the That's the kind of analysis that, that people come to to our show to hear, I'm well, sure. You, One thing you'll notice about this card is that it, in fact, is of the type land, and so that that is a little synergy I've noticed between this card and that deck. And when you get it from your deck, it's good, because it yes. enters the battlefield with a charge sure. counter. And also, you know, if that deck's playing Life from the Loam, you can just get this thing right back, and, you know, you have, you have them in the hard lock. So, yeah, I, I agree. Hype. Uh, also, hype in older formats. Yeah, sadly, I, I don't have too much to add, but I, I do agree that this card is super powerful. I think in, in Standard, the cost of a colorless land is actually fairly high, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure... Um, like how much play you'll see in standard also especially because like one drops are less prevalent in uh in standard than in older formats and like this, sam said it's this best is strong points. against white weenie though right yeah they play no, a it, ton it of it is it is yeah um there, there is definitely more diversity in mana costs in uh in standard though yeah and also your mana is just generally worse so i think playing a colorless land has a higher cost I agree um, with that, yeah. In modern, there's like a lot of decks that just aren't very many colors. And so they just have to figure out like what colorless lands are best for them to play. And I think this one is going to be really high on the tier list. Right? Like people were playing like Phyrexia's core in Hardened Scales decks or whatever. 
Um, I, I don't expect to see any of that now that you can put Glass Zone in your deck. All right, that is the last card that we have to discuss this week. But don't worry, next week we will talk about yet more War of the Spark cards. Uh, cannot overstate just how how many uh, of these cards are really fun to, to think about. So Yeah, they look so cool. The set uh, is so cool. I'm so upset that we don't get to play at the Pro Tour. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm really excited to play Modern at the Pro Tour. I, I know you're a bit of a hater, Ben, but Modern's my favorite format. I think it's going to be great. All right. Um, well, we'll talk more about that next week uh, and the week after. But for now, Sam, would you like to, to close us out with a wonderful story? Yeah. So uh, this is the story of the only person I've ever heard of who believes in Matt Nass more than Matt Nass believes in himself. Um it's tough. People who don't know Matt super well seem to think that he's humble or, uh, <laughs> you know, like, you know, a, a modest guy. But he says things like, why is everyone so much worse and dumber than us? Uh, just regularly with with no additional context. So this is uh, an opponent he played against at Grand Prix Memphis, which is, I guess, like a year and a half ago or so. And he sits down and the guy goes, oh, man, this is tough. I got get pitted against the Hall of Famer. And Matt goes, well, actually, you know, I'm not in the Hall of Fame. I'm not even eligible yet. You have to have been, it has to have been 10 years since your first Pro Tour. And the guy goes, yeah, okay, I guess. But but you're like a lock once you are eligible, right? And Matt has to go, well, most people who make it into the Hall of Fame have four Pro Tour top eights. I have just one. So probably not a lock yet. And the guy goes, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But by the time you are eligible, you're basically a lock to have four top eights, right? And Matt has to explain to the guy, well, I've played about 25 Pro Tours, and I only have one top eight. So probably not even a favor to get to four by by the time I'm eligible. And uh, so Matt just had to spend multiple minutes explaining to this guy how he's worse than he thinks he is. And uh, and Matt was willing to do that in his in his defense, so that that's pretty nice of him. Uh, <laughs> that is incredible. But that is all for us this week. We will unite again next week, though, for more Allied Strategies. Why does it feel oh. so much like we're being tricked? I don't know why you feel that way. I think it's because that you spend so much time tricking people that you just feel like... Who do I trick? Who are these people that are gullible enough to fall for my tricks? They'd have to be so stupid. (laughs) See, see you say this, and then sometimes you're like, why wouldn't you accept a mug from a friend? (laughs) Yeah, but that (laughs) wasn't a trick. You see how these are two mutually exclusive uh, standpoints? No, not at all. Those things seem very consistent to me. (laughs) How would you be tricked by not a trick? It doesn't make sense.